welcome to a new episode of Chasing the Unicorn. During the next two weeks, in collaboration with the Healthcare Club of London Business School, we're organizing a series of health-focused interviews. We'll be interviewing the finalists of the Health Tech Challenge, a competition of early-stage startups. Out of 35 participants, six startups have been selected based on the technical feasibility of the idea, the potential impact for an unmet health need, the feasibility of the execution plan, and the skills and expertise of each team. The final will take place on the 26th of May and a prize of £10,000 will go to the winning team. So today I'm interviewing Nick from NIQS Technology. Welcome Nick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mm, so do you mind if we start by a short introduction please? Yeah, sure. Um, so I can tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I started out as a physicist, so I did my uh, undergraduate degree at the University of Leeds, and I was there studying a four-year master's in theoretical physics. So it was very much pen and paper rather than lab laboratory and experiments. Um, but I, I fell in love with that so much that I decided to stay on at Leeds, and I did my PhD. So I stayed on for another four years after that initial four-year master's, and my PhD was in theoretical quantum optics, which sounds horribly complicated. Um, but it was kind of looking at how things like matter, so like atoms, how they interact with light. So you're talking about these photon atom kind of interactions. Um, and it was there at Leeds where we, we developed quite a strong collaboration with the engineering department. And it was that collaboration between physics and engineering that kind of led to the founding of NIQS. Although at the time we didn't realize it, it was very early stage and then it slowly, it slowly became more apparent that we were onto something as my PhD went on. Um, it all went from there, really. That's, so that's the very high level description of it. It was your idea first and then you, you gathered the, the team around it. So it was, it was kind of a, um, it was a combination of different people's ideas. So there was some work that had been previously done in the engineering department at Leeds. Uh, and they had uh, fi already filed a patent around some of the work they had been doing. And then the, as physicists, we kind of came in halfway through and we looked at helping them try to understand a bit more about the physics of what was going on in their work. So it was a collaboration of the engineering and the physics department to get it to the stage where it is now. The engineers had kind of started to get the ball rolling and then we came in and really helped snowball it. Can you tell a bit uh, more for our audience what problem NIQS is trying to solve? Yeah, sure. Um, so for anyone who hasn't come across NIQS before, what we're doing is we're developing contact-based optical sensors. So in layman's terms, what we're doing is we're using light to probe beneath the skin. And um, we're doing that using this, our, our initial kind of prototype is this kind of tabletop box. So the idea is that someone can place their finger onto that box and using light, we can make a measurement and we can do that in a way that's truly non-invasive. So there's no need to break the skin or kind of probe beneath the skin to find out what's going on. And the way that we designed that sensor, we made it so that it's specific to detecting glucose. And the reason that we, uh, we chose glucose is because diabetes and diabetes management is a huge problem. And I think, a lot of people kind of know about the scale of diabetes or they, they, they've kind of come familiar with um, maybe people or relatives that uh, they live with that are living with that problem. But it is a huge problem and it's just continuing to grow. 
So at the minute, there's around 463 million people living with diabetes worldwide. And if you look at that statistically, that's roughly one in 20 people. So it's quite a scary number. And then if you look at the way that this, uh, this is growing, it's predicted to be around 700 million people, I believe, by 2045. So the next 25 years, that number is going to almost double. And then statistically, that means that you're looking at one in every 10 people will be living with diabetes. So the problem's not going away. It's getting much bigger and it's getting bigger quickly. And if you kind of look at what the impact is on the healthcare providers or the healthcare systems that we have, they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars um, to be able to try and manage this condition. So in the NHS alone, they're spending around 10 billion pounds every year which equates to roughly 10% of their annual budget. And the really horrifying number for us was that when you break that down to a weekly spend, you're looking at around 192 to 193 million pounds every week is being spent on diabetes and the complications that it causes. So what we want to do with our sensors is we want to provide a much more easier and convenient way for people to measure their glucose levels. And by engaging with the, the kind of the, the healthcare experts in this area, they're telling us that the way to, to better manage diabetes is to increase the frequency of testing because it's that practice of measuring more frequently which will lead people to manage their diabetes uh, in a more effective way. And that's something that the current state-of-the-art technologies aren't really, they're not really great at doing. Um, so what we want to do is we want to provide a truly convenient um, and easy-to-use technology that will allow people to manage their diabetes more effectively. And hopefully the aim will be to reduce that, that massive expenditure and help people live uh, healthier and, and easier lives. Yeah, it sounds like a, an amazing project. I'll, I'll ask you more about it um, later, like about some details in which I'm interested. Um, sure. But let's try to, to stay general for now. So how... How do you plan to sell this uh, this product? Would it be directly to to consumer and pharmacies, or yeah, what's the what's the exact business model? That's a great question because uh, it's something that we spent a lot of time thinking about. Because um, initially, what we were thinking is something along the lines of a licensing model, because you have these kind of big players, people like Abbott and Dexcom, who are the kind of giants of glucose monitoring. And we were thinking it'd be very difficult to be able to compete with these guys. Um, but I think one thing that we've realized is that we're offering something that is radically different. We're doing something completely different to what these guys are doing. And I think because of that, it would be more effective for us to go out and directly sell our products to the consumers. So whether that be someone who is living with diabetes and they're paying for it themselves, or if that's a healthcare provider, they're looking to provide these technologies or these services for their patient groups. So at the minute, what we're looking at is a managed service business model. So the idea would be, it's kind of like having a phone contract, right? You pay a certain amount of money to have that phone and that contract for that month. So we would be looking to, to do a kind of um, a monthly um, kind of contract, but as part of that, it's a, it's a, it's a managed service. So the idea there is that you have these kind of safety regulation and maintenance checks. It's to ensure that the sensor is always uh, running to the highest possible um, quality because we don't want to be giving people false information. 
And I think that's something that is so important about medical technologies. You have to be giving people the correct data because things can go wrong and people can, for example, in um, people living with diabetes, if someone took uh, an incorrect measurement and then acted on it by dosing insulin, that could prove to be fatal if that data wasn't provided um, accurately. So that's why we want to do a kind of managed model. We want to provide people with the right information. So the, um, just to ask you a bit more about that, it's uh, sure. they would subscribe online, receive their package, let's say, and be trained by someone before starting to use it? Or how, how do, you, do you see it? So yeah, well, we're still kind of fleshing out the uh, the details of of, um, of the business model, but that would be the the idea, right? Because a lot of these big players they've already validated the, the kind of online market, I guess, for selling glucose monitors online. Because that's how Abbott and Dexcom do it. You can log onto their site and buy it. So the idea would be that you could purchase it from an online store, and in terms of the training to use it, that's one of our kind of I'd like to think it's one of our USPs in a sense because there doesn't really need to be too much training. The idea is that someone can just simply put their finger onto the device and get yeah. a measurement. Okay. There's no sort of, um, I always I always struggle how to word this, but I guess it's like an application procedure, right? Because with these other technologies, you're having to apply them to yourself. You get a kind of sensor in a box and you have this, you put it into this little, again, I don't know what you would describe it as. It kind of looks like a little, kind of looks like a little mouse that you have on a computer. And you hold that over uh, over your arm and then you push a button and it inserts it. So it kind of looks like a little two pound coin, but on the back of that, there's a little thin fiber and that thin fiber sits below the skin surface and it makes glucose measurements um, kind of directly, I guess. So we don't have to teach people how to use that or you know teach them how to replace it. The technology is completely reusable and it's as simple as placing your finger on the box to get a measurement. So the training side should be a lot more, uh, a lot easier than the other technologies out there. Okay. And yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, I mean, and you already kind of answered my, my next question. Um, but so how far are you in the development of, of the startup? And in this sense, how would you, how would the 10,000 pounds help you um, to go th further? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that's what everyone uh, always wants to ask. They think, oh, it sounds amazing. Where are you at? When can I buy one? At least that's the, the impression that we've had from um, people living with diabetes that we've spoken to, just because it's so radically different. But what we've, what we've achieved so far is we've built, um, so I guess the picture will be available online, but we, we built that, that kind of white tabletop box. That was our prototype. And it was, we were trying to test the water to see, does the concept work and how good is the quality of measurements that we get using that process. So we trialed that prototype with a group of 12 people who were living with diabetes, um, living with type one diabetes. And what we found is that when we compared the measurements from our prototype to uh, the traditional finger prick tests. So what I should say is that's, that's kind of the, the traditional approach of measuring glucose, right? You take a little needle, you take a little blood sample from your finger and you place it onto uh, a test strip just kind of like an electrochemical analysis tool. And what you do then is you place that into your blood uh, glucometer and that'll return a kind of static glucose measurement. So it may say five millimoles per liter. That's the kind of traditional way of doing it. So what we did is we compared the measurements from our prototype 
to the traditional finger prick tests. And we found that our measurements were 96.3% comparable to the traditional finger prick tests. So what that means is we used a, a statistical tool called Clark Error Grid Analysis. And it's this funny looking 2D graph with an X and a Y axis. And it's divided up into different sections and each different section tells you about the accuracy of that measurement. So 96.3% is telling us that we're very, very close to being comparable to the traditional finger prick tests, but we're not quite there yet. So that first trial, it served as a strong proof of concept for our approach, but what we're doing now, and um, I, can, I can probably announce this now, we've recently secured a, an Innovate UK grant uh, so it's the Commercializing Quantum Technologies Feasibility Studies Round 2. That's the full title for it. So what our focus is for that feasibility studies is to build a new prototype based on our recent research. So we've been playing around with optimizing that sensor design. And the key focus for us now is to develop a new prototype based on that design. So we were initially a, 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 I guess it depends on what TRL scale you use, but previously we were around TRL4. And we've taken a few steps back, but this grant now will allow us to build that new prototype and get us back to TRL4. So it will kind of give us an opportunity to really validate how good this new design is. And I mean, if you look at the, to give you a kind of idea what the, the numbers are for the, the state of the art technologies out there at the moment, they're, they're a little bit better than what we've got. But I think the key thing to remember is that those technologies are going below the skin to measure it. We're not breaking the skin at all. And we're pretty much as good as the current state of the art. So this optimized design, I think that's going to tell us a lot about um, the, the kind of the next challenges, I guess. Um, and I mean, it's, it's exciting. So I'd like to think that by the end of the year, we'll have a new prototype up and running. And kind of in terms of what that 10,000 pounds would help us do, that prize money will uh, help us alongside the kind of the match funding for that grant. So the way that, um, if anyone hasn't done an Innovate grant before, the way it typically works is the, the kind of the small to medium enterprises, they can put in a project and they qualify for 70% of their costs to be met from the funding body. So in terms of our project, we've secured 70% of the funds and now it's a case of raising that of a 30%. So we're speaking to investors and angels and the 10,000 pounds will be used to go towards that much funding for us. Very exciting. <laughs> a lot of uh, progress going on. Um, and so can you, can you tell us a bit more about your, the team that's working with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we've got a, I think we've got a very exciting team. Uh, so there's myself who, Uh, well, I left academia in, must have been around 2019, end of 2019. Uh, so I, when I finished my PhD, I stayed on to do a postdoc for a little bit, but then I went off to do uh, a business incubator course. So that is the Quantum Technology Enterprise Center at Bristol. And that was kind of trying to gear me up ready to be, uh, to be involved in NIQS as more of a commercial figure rather than a technical figure. So I'm, I'm leading the NIQS team at the moment as the, the chief exec and my colleague, well, he's kind of an ex-colleague now, but um, he will be my colleague again at NIQS. 
there's um, Dr. Benjamin Dawson. So he is the chief technical officer of NIQS and he's currently finishing off his, uh, his PhD studies at Leeds at the moment. And in terms of um, the kind of the support that we have around us, we have a strong advisory board consisting of uh, expert physicists and engineers, but also clinicians and diabetologists. So we've got good relationships with people who are working in the School of Medicine at the University of Leeds. And these are guys who have a wealth of experience in developing biosensors, and they've conducted clinical trials for countless uh, biosensors. So those are the guys that are going to be really crucial in helping us to trial our next prototype. And they were, they were, they were invaluable even in that first trial that we did. They helped set up all the, um, the kind of the ethical studies they helped us do the, uh, the statistical analysis. Um, and in the, in the long term, they will become our, our kind of advisory board. So we'll have a kind of a science and technology advisory board, as well as having a, a clinical and medical advisory board. So we'll split it into two. And uh, the, I guess the one that I haven't mentioned is uh, our commercial director, Annie Brooking. So Annie isn't full-time at the moment, but the aim is to bring her in full-time once we raise capital. And the, the, really, the really good thing about having Annie on board is she's got a wealth of experience in getting products to the market. She's worked in the USA and Silicon Valley, and she's worked across Europe. And I, th I think her track record is around 19 or 20 products she's brought to market. And three of those have been medical devices. And that's going through regulation specialists and, um, and clinical trials. So she's going to be invaluable to have on board as well. So I think we've got a nice diverse team at the moment. It's, a, it's very exciting. And we've already started to think about who we're going to bring on board um, when the time's right. So when we raise money, we'll be looking to bring on board a few other people as well. Yeah, that sounds super exciting indeed. I have a question that I don't know if it's a, it's, if it's the right question, but looking at the long term, um, sure. are you planning to use the same technology to solve other, other health problems? Because you seem to say that it's, It's something that you can adapt in order to, to do whatever, whatever you want with it, right? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's, that's kind of the, I guess, almost the vision of what NIQS is to become. So I, I, actually, we were, we were doing a talk not long ago, and um, uh, our CTO, Ben, I really liked what he said. The guy asked him about something. He said, you know, we're not developing a product. We're developing a solution. And that's kind of stuck with me. So the, the way that we make these measurements beneath the skin, that is something that is novel and hasn't been done by anyone. What we're doing is we're taking that novel sensing mechanism and we're applying it to glucose. So that's our first application. But what we want to do is we want to take that underlying principle and we want to design and develop non-invasive sensors for a much wider range of applications. So whether that be in healthcare or whether that be outside of healthcare, I think this technology, the basis of it, it's got strong applicability to other areas. And the way that we would do that is designing. So we have this, this key kind of sensor component that we call a novel material. The way that we've designed that component at the moment makes it specific to glucose detection. What we want to do is we want to find out how we design that to detect other things. So whether that be another biomarker in the body, whether that be another analyte, another chemical compound, whatever it might be, that's where we want to go. We want to be, We want to kind of be the, the go-to for non-invasive sensors. That would be our, our kind of vision for the future. 
Um, and just to kind of give you a little flavor, one of the things we did think about was uh, non-invasive alcohol sensing. So the idea there was we were thinking, well, how could we measure whether someone is safe to drive a car, for example? And a lot of these new cars you see now, they don't have keys, right? They have these kind of stop start buttons that you push. So one of our ideas was if we can design a novel material that would measure alcohol, you could put that into the stop start button of a car. And then rather than these kind of incumbent breathalyzers that you see in the USA, because that's what happens when you, you commit a felony in America, the judge could say, we need to have you, uh, we need to have a breathalyzer, an alcohol breathalyzer in your car. And if you're unsafe to drive, your car won't start. So what we thought was, is there any way we could put one of our sensors in the stop start button of a car? So it's very discreet. You get in the car, you interact with it in the same way you always do. But when you press the button to start the car, the sensor checks, are you safe to drive or not? And if you're not safe to drive, the car doesn't start. So that's not something we're pursuing at the moment, but we've already kind of got ideas of where we'd like to go with these future applications. Um, and yeah, like I said, the glucose sensing, that's just the first step. It's kind of like a ladder. The glucose is the first step, but we want to go much further. It sounds amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's great that you have all of these ideas. So you were, you were saying that you don't have any competitors throughout, like, around the world? Um, so I think, it, I think we need to divide our competitors into two, right? So there are the competitors like Abbott and Dexcom out there right now. They're the, I would, I would say that they're the, they're the market leaders for invasive glucose measurements. And that's, the, that's because those little sensors, they have that little fiber that goes underneath the skin, right? So those guys are leading the invasive side, but on terms of the non-invasive side, I think that is just a massive market opportunity. And I mean, I can't put an exact figure on it. I think it's the best part of 40 years people have been trying to crack non-invasive glucose sensing. It's been deemed the holy grail of the space because no one's been able to do it to a good enough level of accuracy with good enough measurement repeatability. So there's always going to be competitors on that side. And I mean, just because they name dropped us in a, a, a talk not long ago at a diabetes conference, the, the kind of the major one for us is a company called AFON Technology. So they're building non-invasive glucose sensors in the, kind, in the form of like a kind of like a wearable, like a wristwatch kind of thing. So they're someone that they seem to be making good progress. Um, and there are, like I said, there's, there's at least five more in the UK and around Europe who are also working on this. But these guys, they aren't at the market yet. They're not selling their products. They're still in these kind of early development or R&D stages. So they're, they're on our radar. We're aware of them. They are our competition. But I think it's a case of who can do it to a good enough level of accuracy with good enough measurement repeatability. That'll be the company that people will choose to work with or that'll be the company people choose to buy from. And just kind of echoing what we, we've learned from speaking to people living with diabetes They want measurement accuracy. That, is, that has been the, the overriding message that we've got from them. They want to be able to trust the data that they get. So it's important for us to be able to, to achieve that in order to be able to make a difference. Because there's no point making a technology that kind of it works sometimes, but not all the time. So we want to be that company. I hope that the uh, Health Tech Challenge will help you reach your goal of 100% accuracy. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be great. <laughs> That'll be nice. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today, Nick. 
Yeah, no problem. It's been great. To our audience, thank you again for listening and see you on the 26th of May.